You know, this week we are in a, a seven-day worship challenge. How many of y'all love that? That was awesome. I found myself literally going back to the 90s with Ancient of Days. Does anybody remember Ancient of Days? Come on, let's show our age right now, folks. Let's show our age. Ancient of Days. Yes. Oh, we got some 70s too. Yes. It was just, it's just whatever worship, you said it best. Whatever songs were at the beginning of your relationship with the Lord, those are the songs that you tend to go to in those moments of worship. So I hope you enjoyed that. And remember, this doesn't have to be a seven-day challenge only. It's a lifestyle. It's something that hopefully is becoming habitual and saying, God, I, I see the benefits of this. I see the beauty in this, and I want to keep doing it. Well, we are in the middle of our series called Sam Sum, Sam Sum, and I am loving what God is doing in this series because we're literally opening up the books of First and Second Samuel, and we are digging in verse by verse, chapter by chapter, story by story, and I'm just so excited. So when Pastor Jeremy preached last weekend, he talked about David and worship. We learned that, that Saul was being tormented and in order to get that tormenting spirit away, David would come and lead him in worship. Do you know that David was only 12 years old when he did that? Isn't that awesome? That's why I love that we are a church that believes in the next generation. In just two weeks, our students, we have 26 students heading to camp and six leaders. Come on, that is awesome. We've got 32 people from this church heading to have an amazing experience. And hear me, I'm so grateful for those who help make a way. I'm grateful for those that are going and leading them through the camp and are going to be with them. It's just going to be an awesome, awesome time. So David was only 12 years old, but I want to take you today to the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to fast forward in this, in this life of David because now we're going to meet him when he's about 16, 17, or 18 years old. And you're going to wonder as you read through these scriptures, how does Saul not know who David is? Because there's a point in this story where Saul asks, who is this kid who is coming to face this giant? And they're like, well, that's David. But how many all know? You see somebody at the age of 12, and then you see him again at the age of 16, 17, 18. You're like, where did that facial hair come from? Right? Somebody hit puberty, right? Something, it changes. The voice goes a little bit deeper. You get a little bit taller. You change. And so no wonder we're going to read that Saul does not recognize David because David was only in his service for about a year. And so here we find David, he's pulling double duty. At this age, 16, 17, 18 years old, where we find him in the story of David and Goliath, he is playing double duty. He is serving his father as a shepherd, and yet he's also running back to check on his brothers at war. See, there's this war going against the Philistines, and David is just bouncing back and forth. Serving dad, serving the children of Israel. Serving dad, serving the army. And so this is where we find David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He is wearing the ring metal jacket that weighs 125 pounds. He's wearing a junior hire, basically. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He's literally looking across the valley and he's looking at the enemy, Israel, and he's saying, why are you all coming to fight? 
I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. Now hear me, friends, this is a normal act in ancient war. It was normal to say, instead of having all this unnecessary bloodshed, you choose a champion, we'll choose a champion, and we will meet in the middle. And whatever team wins, whatever side's champion wins, the others will admit defeat and will serve them. So he says, if I kill him, you'll be my slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Today, I want us to look at this story of David and Goliath, because hear me, there are going to be three inescapable experiences. Inescapable means you cannot get around these things. Inescapable means you are going to have to face them at some point in your life. You are going to experience three inescapable things. And what we're going to do is looking through this story of David and Goliath, we're going to be able to say, okay, God, if that is coming in my life, or maybe I've already experienced some of these inescapable experiences, now I'll be better prepared for the next time. Amen? Experience number one, nobody gets exempt from this, is terrified. Experience number one is terrified. It's fear. Now I gotta tell you, David and Goliath, this is not an Israelite fairy tale. This isn't like Jack and the Beanstalk that we grew up telling our children the tales of Robin Hood. This is, this is not a fairy tale that was passed down generation to generation to share a story at bedtime about a champion who took on a giant. That's not it. It's a biblical and historical account. We've got to get that in our hearts and in our minds right now. That David and Goliath is not a bedtime story. It's a historical and biblical account because why they were giants. They were giants in the land. Can I tell you that there are giants throughout the Old Testament? That when we read about David and Goliath, this is not the first time that we had ever heard the word giant. In fact, if we go to Numbers, this is when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the Lord had called them to take the promised land. And what he did is he said, one, one person from every tribe, there are 12 tribes of Israel. I need one person to go and spy out the land that the Lord has given us. God has already declared that this is gonna be your land. Now send 12 people out there to spy it. Well, 12 of them came back, two with great reports, 10 with not so great reports. And this is the report of the 10. They spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored, it will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers and that is what they felt too. They looked at us as if we were grasshoppers. That's just one account of giants in the land. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter three, this is talking specifically about a king. King Og of Bashan was the last survivor of the giant Raphites. His bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long. That's like a shack bed, right? 13 feet long. He wasn't the first to get it made, hello, and six feet wide. It can still be seen in the Ammonite city of Rabbah. Giants were a real threat. Giants were a real threat real thing to fear. In fact, I think it's fascinating that in 2005, there was a archeology span site, a dig site, looking in, in what would be ancient Gath. 
And in 2005, they uncovered this shard of pottery. And this inscription right here, do you know whose name that is? Goliath. That is the only inscription ever found in ancient Philistine or in ancient Gath that has ever had that name on it. They are dating that back to the 9th or 10th century BC, 9th or 10th BC. And that is only within 70 years of the story of David and Goliath. How amazing is that? Our Bible, come on, is real. It is historical accounts. They are not Bible stories or something we put our hope in because this world is just too hard and I gotta have something to believe in so that when I die, it's just not over. No, our Bible is real and it is truth and we can stand on scripture. So King Saul, the Israelites, no wonder they were filled, are filled with fear because fear is an inescapable experience that we all will experience. You see, fear is an attitude. It's an attitude of anxiety or distress caused by concern. Concern is, is a thought, right? Concern is a feeling. These are what's going on in our minds over a threat to one's future. So fear starts here. We may see something. We may feel something. And then we begin dwelling on something. We all experience fear and they experienced fear and giants. Do you know that giants can make us feel small? Giants make us feel small, don't they? They make us feel like grasshoppers on how the Israelites described it. But do you know that the Lord says this? He says, do not be afraid. It's recorded 36 times in the Bible. Do y'all hear that or is that just me? All right, could the production team help me out and silence whatever's happening there? Unless you guys want to go into worship again and we can just, I'm down, Holy Spirit, right? I'm just a vessel. And if you want to move this vessel on out, I'm good to go. <laughs> but giants make us feel small. And it's not that it's small in stature. Giants could be everywhere. Giants could be in the workplace, right? Giants can be in relationships. Giants can be in culture. There could be giants anywhere. But what giants do to us and our mentality, the way they cause fear is they make us feel incapable inferior. They make us feel unable to do something. But God says again, 36 times there are commands in scripture that say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And what follows these sentences are amazing. Do not be afraid because I will protect you. I hear your cries. I am with you and will bless you. I have given you victory. I will fight for you. I will never abandon you. I will never fail you. You will not die. The battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Here's more. I will bring you home again and my spirit remains among you. How awesome is that? Now that's not all 36, but that's a lot of things that I could put stock in. That's a lot of things that I can be encouraged with when I am experiencing fear. Do you know that moments of human fear they can be opportunities for deepening our faith in God. You're not going to avoid fear. You're going to find opportunities to be afraid. This was a giant. This was something huge and in their face and was aggressive. Friends, we face aggression often. We face things that could make us feel incapable or make us feel we're unable or inferior. But God says, I am with you. And these opportunities can deepen our faith. So what giants are you facing? Why are you afraid of it? And what does the Bible say about it?
Think about that for a moment. What giants are you facing? Why are you afraid of it? And what does the Bible say about it? So next time you find yourself fearful, frustrated, maybe a little immobilized, paralyzed, I don't feel like I can move. I can't move forward. I'm stuck in this situation. The next time you find yourself, ask yourself those questions. Maybe you need to take out your phone right now and and take a picture of that, that what giants am I facing? Why am I afraid of them? And what does the Bible say about it? So that's experience number one. You cannot get away from fear. But experience number two is trials. Not like jury duty trials, like trials, like testings, things that you walk through. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 16, the story of David and Goliath continues. It says, for 40 days, every morning and evening, y'all enemies don't grow tired of harassing you. The enemy does not grow tired of taunting you and telling you that you cannot do the things that you are called to do. He doesn't grow weary of making you feel small. That is what he enjoys doing. And Goliath did the same thing. Every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted. It doesn't just say walk, it says strutted in front of the Israelite army taunting them. I find it interesting that it's for 40 days. Do you know that 40 is a very significant number in biblical history? There are over 20 accounts of 40 days and 40 nights in scripture. The number 40, why? Because it's symbolic of a trial. And what that brings me encouragement is that I'm not the only one walking through trials. And if my trial feels a little bit long, there's others who've had to walk through things for 40 days and 40 nights. See, for 40 days, the flood continued on earth in the days of Noah. For 40 years, the Israelites wandered the desert. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses went without food and heard the covenant and wrote down the covenant and heard of the 10 commandments. Elijah fasted and sought the Lord for 40 days. Nineveh had 40 days to repent. Do you know Ezekiel laid on his side for 40 days in obedience to the Lord, waiting for him to speak and move. And for 40 days, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. 40 days is mentioned again over 20 times. When something is on repeat, friends, we need to pay attention to it, right? Amen? Amen. And so all of them are are referencing that a trial or a testing is occurring. And a trial or a testing is when something is being worked out within us or something is being worked out of us, amen? Something is either being worked in us or it's being worked out of us. See, in these trials, we are encouraged. In James chapter one, it says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, remember it says when, not Maybe, but when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you, and some of y'all are like, I know this scripture and I hate this scripture. I understand, but we're gonna read it again, amen? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, can I tell you why we don't love that scripture? Can I tell you why we don't necessarily feel better when we're reminded to have to walk through difficult things because it's gonna produce endurance in me? Why do I not like that? Because friends, we're called to walk through trials, not around trials. We're called to walk through trials and not around trials. And hear me, this gets tough because what God has called us to do is that he speaks to us. We find ourselves maybe in a situation and God is saying, you really wanna walk around it but I'm not calling you to walk around the trial. 
I need you to walk right through the trial. And some of us get frustrated in our relationship with the Lord or our growth or however. Why is this taking so long, Lord? It very well could be that I am refusing to walk through something because it's painful or it's uncomfortable or I'm a little bit nervous. No one knows what's on the other side of a trial. Friends, nobody. But what we can know is that whatever it is, God deems it for my good. He deems it to grow me and build me and secure me in his love. This is not going to harm me. Is it gonna challenge me? Absolutely. Is it going to strengthen me? Absolutely. Is it gonna make me wanna quit some days? Absolutely. But we can either choose to lean and entrust that I'm not walking through this by myself, but that my God is with me and I'm gonna grit up, I'm gonna girl up and I'm gonna go through it. Or... Or I could be like the Israelites and I can avoid the snot out of it. And what should have been just a few weeks, I'm now taking 40 years of my life to walk around difficult things instead of walking through difficult things. Friends, I want to walk through it. I want to be around people who have walked through it, right? I want to be so spirit-filled and dependent on the Lord that I'm not ignorant that this is going to be hard but I'm confident that my God is going to be with me. And so friends, some of us need to roll up our sleeves. This is a culture in which we can get comfort like that. If I don't like what's on the menu at home for dinner that night and I pick the menu, I could go to a restaurant in moments and in 30 minutes have the most delicious meal that I want to pay for. We can take comfort like that. You want to make a decision to go on a last minute vacation because you're not liking your life? Sure, done deal. You don't have the money. You could charge it on a credit card. Do you see how quickly we can choose comfort and we can choose going around things instead of going through things? And God is asking for us to go through them. Hear me, Romans chapter five. It says this, we can rejoice too. Again, why do these people keep saying that? And this isn't just one person. That was James and now this is Paul. So both of these faith leaders are telling you, guess what, guys, I'm not lying to you. It can actually be rejoiceful. It can be joyful that you are gonna go through something tough because the fruit of it, the, the, the promises and the treasures that you're going to gather through this, this is, this is invaluable. And so he says, rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us. Some of you need to stop saying this is harming me. This is hurting me. It, it's helping you to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Do you know what happens when we start going through trials and stop going around trials? We build a capacity for us. You may start with a little bit of endurance, but it's just like working out. You start with a little bit of weights. If I were to go, I would maybe not even be able to do the bar. Like, you know what I mean? But once you get working with the bar, then you add some other weights. You build your endurance for what you are working with. The same thing goes with life. You build your endurance. You increase your capacity, not as you are comfortable, but as you get uncomfortable. Why? Because it's the hope of my salvation. Go back to scripture. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Friends, we will not be disappointed. We're gonna be stretched, but we're not gonna be disappointed. See, avoiding trials, it stunts growth and it stunts depth. If we avoid hard things, guys, we're gonna be so emotionally immature. We're not gonna be able to walk through tough conversations or being able to even voice our real feelings or be able to stand on truth because we we don't have enough depth. But God is saying, 
you can do this and I'm going to walk with you. We're going to face some trials together. I love it. I love it. I love it. See, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He was for 40 days and 40 nights. The enemy tempted him with things that he thought Jesus would love to have. The power, the popularity, right? The pleasure. They thought Jesus would want these things. And Jesus like, no, 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 I want want the will of God. I I want, number one, first and foremost, the reason why I breathe is because because of the Lord. See, a test is not given to a student. A test is given to a student, see if a student can pass, not pass out. (laughs) So I think sometimes we think that these trials are going to kill us. No, it's that you can pass the test, not pass out. God's not going to disappoint you. He's going to strengthen you and stretch you. And hear me. I always ask myself every year, am I better this year than I was last year? Have I grown emotionally? Have I grown spiritually? You could grow, you could take growing physically either way. You know, I checked that too. (laughs) But what, what, what have I done, Lord? And if I haven't grown, then I got to look back and reassess where I avoided some things and then choose this year. I'm going to walk through it so I could be a better version of myself next year. See, I am a better human being. This is me personally. I'm a more devout follower of Jesus, not because of the victories I've experienced, but because of the trials I've walked through. I'm more compassionate. I'm more kind. I'm more loving. I'm more caring. Right? Okay, just make sure. (laughs) But it's not the victories that make us bosses, guys. It's the walking through the failures. It's the walking through the trials. It's the not quitting. It's the letting God work things in me and out of me. That's where the change comes from. And so let's look at this third inescapable experience. It's trust, right? I can't inescape, I can't escape the fears and the being terrified. I can't escape the trials and hear me. I have to learn to trust. I have to learn to trust. See, in 1 Samuel, let's continue in verse 17, or chapter 17. David finds out that Goliath is taunting and he is ridiculing and he is threatening and he finds out that no one has gone against this giant. And so he starts saying, I'll do it. And word gets to King Saul that there's some kid out there that wants to go face this giant. So David is speaking his case before the king saying, this is why I can go face this giant. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Can I tell you, when God asks you to do something and when he anoints you for something, it will not make sense to other people. It cannot be compared. What is done in the supernatural cannot be compared to what is happening in the natural. God gives some, sometimes in some moments, God gives such an anointing that it makes absolutely no sense here on earth. But it makes all the sense in the supernatural and we have to trust that God is doing something. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and his goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Next scripture. I have done this to both lions and bears and I will do it to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Can I tell you that true power doesn't come from size and strength, but from reliance on God. True power does not come 
from size or from strength. It comes from reliance on God. And I love that David said that. He said, the same God who rescued me. Hear me, the club was in David's hand. The, 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 the decision to go after the lion or to go after the bear was in his heart, but God fueled that in him. He matched his faith. He went there with him. See, trust is not about personal ability. You might be sitting in this room and thinking, I would never go after a bear. You're like, can I get you some gravy for this lamb chop? Like, enjoy bear, enjoy lion. I ain't even going for that. But it's not about our ability. It's not about what I bring to the table in strength or in size or in experience. It's trust is all about God's reliability. You see, scripture affirms that total trustworthiness of God, it's especially in the relationship to his promises to his people. Christian faith, why we gather here today is essentially trust in the person and the character of God. So we are trusting in who God is and what he can do and what he has done. See, 1 Samuel chapter 17, David says to the Philistine, you come to me, because remember, Goliath sees this little child and he starts spitting out some stuff. But David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head. Now, let me tell you something real quick. In children's church, you only hear about the sling and the rock and David died. The real story is that knocked the giant out. But then David took Goliath's sword and stamped him, killed him and cut off his head. But we leave that out of Avenue Kids Jr. You are welcome parents. <laughs> but today the Lord will do that. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that the God in Israel, that he is there. And it says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? We've got to be encouraged today that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And friends, we have a choice because He calls us to be a part of that battle. He may call you to be in the battle by waiting, patiently waiting for Him to move and all He's asking you to do is stand. He may be calling you to the battle and saying, I need you to worship, just like Gideon did. They didn't go out with, with weapons of war. They went out with weapons of worship. God may be asking you to believe for the impossible and walk steps of faith, knowing that he is with you and the promise is on the other side. But whatever it is, God invites you to battle with him. But how that looks, that's your trial. That's your testing. And my story is not your story. And your story is not your neighbor's story. But what I can tell you that whatever you are walking through, whatever battle you have either gone through or you're about to go through or whatever you're in right now, God has given you His Holy Spirit to be with you through it. And God is calling you to some sort of action. I love this in Romans chapter 10. Because I really don't know how people live this life without Jesus. There is so much brokenness and heartache and disappointment that I cannot imagine going through any of that without the hope that I have in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love Romans chapter 10 because it tells us 
How are we able to have this relationship? How am I able to take that step into saying, okay, Lord, all of these battles belong to you. My life, you want my life, you, you created this. I love Romans chapter 10, it says, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Paul says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So many times we think that battles happen in, in, in flesh and blood. No, things happen in the supernatural. And God is saying, you don't have to do anything to be saved. In fact, you've done everything not to be saved. But what you need to do for me to come in and be in a part of life with you is simply believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So friends, the odds are never stacked against us. The odds are stacked against the enemy and God is so good to us. And so if you would, please stand with me here this morning. I want us to have a couple of moments to respond. First and foremost, if you are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I wanna have the opportunity to do exactly what Romans 10 says, that I'm gonna confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I'm gonna believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Why? Because he saved me from the penalty of sin and death. God made it so I could have a relationship with Him. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if there is someone in this room today, I'd say, man, I fought some battles. I can look at my life and I can see all kinds of battles, but I don't wanna face another battle without Jesus being Lord of my life. And I would love to do what Romans chapter 10 says, to confess with my heart and believe, or confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. If that is you, would you just take a moment, raise your hand so I can see you, because I wanna know who I'm praying with today that today I'm giving my life to Jesus. Yes, I see you. One, two, yes, absolutely. That's awesome, that's awesome. Three, yes, I see you. That's fantastic. All right, everybody, let, let's do this. Will you pray with me? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. I confess my sins today. Lord, I need you. I don't want to battle without you. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. Help me today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, amen and amen.